Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we head to Scotland to talk to the newest member of Valor FC, Fraser Aird. Originally from Toronto, has been living in Glasgow for a while now. He's coming back to Canada. Also, we talk to the latest inductee into the Canada West Hall of Fame, Mike Burchuk, who coached the Winnipeg Westman women's volleyball teams to six straight national titles in the 80s. Not bad. And finally, we talked to a Manitoban who's one of the top table tennis officials in the world. How did he get involved in that? How does one become the best in his trade at that? Well, we'll talk to Darek Makita on the podcast. Valor FC has added another name to the 2020 mix. They've inked Canadian board midfielder Fraser Aird. Aird will turn 25 February 2nd, born in Toronto, went over to Scotland in 2011 to play and has been with a number of teams over there since was on loan with the Whitecaps for a bit here and most re- recently played with Cove Rangers in the Scottish League 2. Now it's coming home and earlier today I had the chance to chat with Fraser. It's not a live interview because it's one in the morning where he is in Glasgow. I started by asking him if he enjoyed his time in the country where his parents are from. Yeah, it's been good. Obviously been here for nine years now. It'll be come February. So I've spent a lot of uh, a lot of years, a lot of years um, here now doing so. It's pretty much like my second home. Yeah. I think I probably call Scotland my home now. <laughs> Funny enough. Then what went into your decision to now leave what is you're calling your second home or now your home to to come play soccer in Winnipeg? Yeah, I think obviously it was the right opportunity. Um, obviously, I've known Rob Gill for a while. Uh, he's been trying to get me on board for a few years now. Um, so when the opportunity came up again, um, we sat down and we had a proper chat about it and just obviously ticked a lot of boxes for me, Valar, and um, just kind of went from there. Um, and obviously ended up getting a deal sorted with them, which I'm delighted with, and I can't wait to get started. When the Canadian Premier League launched last year, was this something that you immediately looked at and thought, I might want to play there someday, or did you want to see some action first before you thought about it? Um, I think it was kind of going to be trial and error. I mean, I think everyone was kind of in the unknown on what was going to happen in the first year. And I think everyone's kind of uh, been pulled back on how good um, the buzz around the league has been. Obviously, the standards of the games and the players and the quality of that, that's been on the pitch. I mean, so I think after the first year, it's kind of maybe opened the eyes to a few other people. Um, but I always had a thought that it was maybe going to do well in I think it's still going to take time um, to become a better and better league. Um, that takes years, um, but hopefully each year as it, as it goes on, obviously, hopefully the league improves and it keeps attracting, attracting good players and hopefully the standard keeps going up. So for someone born in Toronto then to parents from Scotland who just love soccer, was there you know a hope that someday there'd be a league in Canada that you could play in? Well... Considering I left at 16, I also I didn't think that that was possibly going to happen. I mean, obviously, when I just left um, TFC, it was just that was the first year um, in the MLS. I mean, so that was kind of the first big thing. Um, and also, I guess I just probably thought, oh, that's going to be Toronto FC. I mean, playing in the American League, and that was kind of maybe the only route. But there were so many players growing up, um, like myself, that either had to make the decision if they're going to go the scholarship route, that obviously wanted to do football as a as a job and had aspirations to become a professional, he's either go to the, um, down to the States and get a scholarship and hopefully maybe get into the draft or take the jump like I did and go and play in Europe. I was lucky enough that I have a British passport because obviously my parents are both Scottish and 
Um, obviously, I made that move, and it worked out for me. Now, when you made that move, uh, I guess, where were you? 16 years old, going to play f- football in Scotland. Were you excited? Were you nervous to do that? Um, yeah, no, obviously, I was delighted doing it. I got the chance to go and play for my boyhood team, um, Glasgow Rangers. I mean, so it was a no-brainer for me once I got off of the contract. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think it was a chance to go play football. I mean, I, I kind of had my mindset that I wanted to go and play in Europe and I wanted to try it. And I always thought that if I didn't, if I went and I didn't like it, I could always come home. But if I don't go and try it, then I'll never know. I mean, and let behold, I'm still here 10 years later almost. Right. So have you ever been to Winnipeg? Never been to Winnipeg in my life. <laughs> I've heard it's cold though. Well, yeah, it gets cold here. It, it's actually nice. It's actually kind of warm here today. It's uh, let me just check minus six degrees Celsius, which is pretty warm for this time of year. Yeah, no, I, I can deal with that. Okay. Hopefully, it only gets warmer and warmer. Well, yeah, it was minus fifteen, minus twenty a couple weeks ago. So as long as you're, if you're here in the summertime, you're going to be okay. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. So, what are you going to miss most about Scotland when you're when you're back home here in Canada? Uh, just things like friends and I'll say total different football and like over here, like it's a small, Glasgow's also a lot smaller city than um, like I'll say if I was in Toronto or whatever, I mean, Winnipeg, I could imagine it's obviously a little bit bigger, but Glasgow is just like a small knit community. I mean, everyone kind of knows everyone doing, especially in the football world. Um, it's just different. It's totally different. I mean, and over here, football is kind of life to I me. Mean, for a lot of fans and players and over there there's different sports and different hobbies that people are into so it'll take a bit used to to bit of time sorry to get used to but as you said it's more about the football for me and hoping I can help Villar um, achieve what we want to at the start of the season and that's going and win the championship to save people at home listening to Google search, Glasgow is about 600,000 people, Winnipeg about 700,000 people. Uh, just for your own sake, have you played with any of the other people on Valor FC before? Or have you interacted with any of them? Um, well, obviously I was at um, Vancouver Whitecast with Bustos. He was there last year. Um, grew up with Michael Petrasso. Uh, I think he just signed for York. I think I've seen today maybe or yesterday. Uh, but grew up with him. we played at the same team since you're about 12 years old. Um, Dylan Carrero played against him a few times. Um, Skylar Thomas, he was a year older than me, but he played with my brother when he was in Toronto. So I know a few of the boys, um, but hopefully they come back and uh, do great to play alongside them again. Now you you played under Rob Gale for the junior national team. What is he like as a coach? Uh, he's a great guy. He's a great man manager, I'd say. Um, he knows how to get the best out of his players. I think that was kind of one of the big ticks um, in my boxes for when I was uh, considering my options um, coming over there because I know we have a good relationship with Rob on and off the park and we speak to each other now and again. Even if we go months without speaking to each other, we always try to connect and see how each other are getting on. Um, and he was one of the big reasons why I didn't end up signing. Um, he kind of convinced me and said it was the right move for me and footballing-wise and professional-wise and kind of where I am right now in my career. So, you know, he had a big part to play um, in my decision when coming. And with your skill set, what do you bring to Valor FC? I'd say a very attacking-minded player. Um, I could play left or right side. I could play behind the striker. 
Um, hopefully I can bring goals and assists and Casey Winger get the ball in the box and shots from distance and just kind of my attacking um, my attacking attributes and hopefully I could uh, I can bring that to the team and add something different that they don't didn't already have last year. Finally, Fraser, I just want to ask you about your accent. You're born in Canada. You left for Scotland at 16. Your parents are Scottish. Have you always had a bit of a Scottish accent? And and everyone says I sound Irish. It's absolutely mental. <laughs> but um, no, it's 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 a mixture of everything. Um, a lot, a few of the boys when I was at Rangers when I was a young boy from Northern Ireland. So you can maybe say that was the first accent that I picked up. But everyone that asked me says, "Oh, where are you from in Ireland?" I said, "No, it's from a big place. It's called Canada." <laughs> so do you think you're going to lose it then when you come back here? I don't know. Also, being around different accents when I when I get back to Canada. I, might lose it doing, but still speaking to my friends and that on the phone. Also, I'll still hear the Glasgow twang. So we'll see what happens. Get it all the time. Yeah, I bet. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight. I know it's getting late there in in Scotland, so I appreciate your time and good luck. We'll see you when you get here. No worries. Speak to you soon. Canada West Conference nearing the end of the rollout of its initial 100 inductees into its new Hall of Fame, celebrating the conference's 100 years of existence. And today, the Westman got their final shout-out, this time to women's volleyball coach Mike Burchuk, in charge of the program from 1980 to 89, captured six straight national titles from 1983 to 88, was named Coach of the Year four times. At one point, his team won 123 straight games. And Mike joins me now on the CJOB Sports Show. Mike, congrats on this honour. What does this mean to you? Uh, well, uh, I've been following it since, uh, I guess, October, and uh, I've also followed Canada West sports uh, in the last, say, 30, 40 years. And um, the conference has a rich history of uh, individuals and teams. And so obviously it's, uh, it's a very special honor to be included uh, uh, in that group. Uh, I think the University of Winnipeg could also forward just a limited number of teams and uh, coaches. And um, so I feel it's it's very humbling and uh, uh, very gratifying. How were you able to be so successful with that group of women in the 80s? Uh, well, I had the good fortune to coach uh, many amazing young women. And when I say amazing women, really strong character people. Uh, when you get to coach athletes like Jamie Hincherick, Brenda Borowski, Westwood, and Ruth Clausen, uh, winning just was easier. Uh, all three of those were two-time U Sports National Players of the Year. Uh, Brenda Set was our setter on five of those teams that won, uh, and they didn't make they don't make them much better than her. And uh, Jamie Ruth, also along with Wanda Gwinnett, were all very strong players of the net. So I also learned something in the mid-'80s that uh, nothing helps winning as much as previous winning. So once we kind of got on a roll, uh, it just became a little bit easier the year after. And so, uh, I mean, there, there's no secret. It's, uh, it's also no secret that we put in more time training than our opposition our practices were very demanding if you asked anybody and we focused a lot on just perfecting our skills and every Monday just getting better. Now, when you're in the middle of a long winning streak, like a 123 game win streak, does your attitude 
change when you're in like game 80 compared to game 40, game 100 in that streak? Well, I think what stands out about the streak is we never were aware of the streak. Uh, my focus was never, well, we've won 25 matches uh, in the last two months or whatever. So if you ask people, if you could go back in time, you can't. But if you could, most of those players didn't know, weren't aware that we were on such a streak. We just kept, uh, our focus was always just to get better, regardless whether we won a tournament or won the national championship the previous year. Our focus always was in improving and making our team better. So we weren't, if our focus had been on streaks, I think we never would have reached that streak. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so when I watch when I watch high school, university, pro sports, and a team is undefeated, and they're going to a national championship, that's not good. I mean, because all the players are very aware of that. Or let's put it this way: it doesn't make it any easier uh, to to win the big game when you've been undefeated all year. So we just never talked about undefeated. We just practiced hard, played hard, and. Kind of win from there. Well, I think one of the biggest things nowadays about, and, and and I think this is probably the case then too, is when you're on a run like that in pro sports or in university sports, you're you're going to maybe not talk about it in the locker room, but any person of the media is going to bring it up. The first that's going to be the first thing they ask you about, right? Well, I was there for nine years, uh, eighty eighty nine, and I don't remember people asking me about it. But okay. it was also some of it was the onus was on us also to. Uh, promoted and marketed it, and we never did that. So, okay, we did a little bit of that, but not like now, not like 2020, where everybody knows everybody's win-loss record and all the stats of the players. And so it wasn't the same. We were in GPAC. Uh, we played uh, Regina, uh, Lakehead, and Manitoba in our league, and we traveled to a lot of tournaments, uh, whether it was uh, in Halifax, uh, uh, Quebec City, uh, Toronto, Calgary, Victoria, wherever. So the the landscape was different for for competition. So it was a lot of tournaments, and it just wasn't the same. If we were in a league like Canada West now, it would be different because there'd be more visibility, and people would be a lot more aware of where we were with in our win loss record. Is that a better thing if, to have more visibility like that? No, no. I mean, to do what you want to do, you don't want to know that stuff. You just want to kind of work hard. As soon as you start talking about uh, your wins and losses, I've, I followed sports for uh, from junior high, high school, university, to pros, national teams, uh, and I've and I've learned that the scoreboard looks after itself. It's what you do in day to day in training, uh, the discipline you have to work hard. The rest of it all kind of falls into place. But as soon as you have, if you have distractions, like uh, what most, what's not, not talked about is that we were ranked number one in my last year when I was hired to coach the national team in December of 1988 for May 1st of 89. We were ranked one most of that year and we lost in a national semifinal. And the rumor is, I don't know if it's accurate or not, the CGOP. CGOB did not publish the score that we'd lost in the semi because they didn't believe it was true. Huh. Uh, but it was when I mentioned that example because it was a distraction. My getting the national team, hard not to plan for it, think about it. Uh, where the, my focus was 
on the university team, but it should have been 100% on the university team. And I'm not sure if that kind of made, if that was the difference, you know, kind of why we lost, like who knows why we lost. Right. Uh, Calgary, that one had a very good team. We'd beat them, beaten them in previous national finals. So it was kind of their turn to win. Talking with Mike Burchuk, legendary Westman women's volleyball coach who led that program to six consecutive national championships during the 1980s. Mike, after you were done coaching the Westman, who did you coach after that? Well, I got hired to coach the the national team, which was a full-time program at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Ruth and I moved to uh, Regina, uh, where the national team was based. It was there for three years, and then it moved to Winnipeg, where it was maybe for 20 years. Uh, it moved here in May of 92. It was here roughly for 20, 25 years, and now it's in Richmond. But it was a full-time it wasn't like a summer program like now where you could coach a university team and coach a national team. At that point, if you coached a national team, it was a full-time job. It was May 1st all the way to April. You maybe had two, three weeks off in there, uh, depending kind of on how you structured the schedule. But uh, it was a full-time job. And how long did you do that for? I did that uh, from um, May 1st, 89, till the Atlanta Olympics. You pretty much coached the university for the same length of time as you coached the national team. How different were those two jobs? I mean, we had a lot of good athletes on the national team, not the same as today. The level of the, of the athletic ability of the national team athletes today is, is is just incredible. It wasn't the same back then, but we did have a lot of good athletes. But we never had the finances to compete against the world. So... Uh, if I if I compared it, maybe what the New Zealand hockey team gets for a budget. So uh, it was always it was always a struggle. The finances and competing, playing international matches was always a problem for us. So we trained a lot. We didn't play enough. We weren't in the World League. We weren't in the Grand Prix. Uh, so uh, we did the best we could, but it wasn't what we needed. We needed to play the best teams in the world. And when we got a chance to play USA on some tours, uh, our record showed that we could compete against them, but uh, we did too much fundraising. I remember we did a fundraiser at the old Gold Eyes, uh, at, at a Gold Eyes game at the old Winnipeg Bomber Stadium where we sold programs for uh, maybe three hours. The staff and, and athletes, a group of 18, where we, we kind of made maybe $150. So what's $150 going to do to help you with an international team? So uh, the people of Regina and the people at Winnipeg were uh, supported the teams. Just uh, they were amazing, exceptional people, volunteers that helped us. But we could just never get the competition that we needed to compete. We trained a lot and we did okay. We qualified for the Olympics. But it was really tough for us to play the top teams in the world. So safe to say then, Mike, and, that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, I saw a movie. I'm a, I'm a movie fanatic, so people think I'm a volleyball coach, but really I'm a movie expert. Hmm. Uh, I saw a movie many years ago called... Uh, it won the 1941 Oscar, and it, the name of the movie was How Green Was My Valley. And I didn't know what it meant when I first kind of uh, turned it on, and then... Uh, the parallel I'm drawing is when I was at the University of Winnipeg in the 80s, the best way to summarize it was how green was my valley. That was 
a special time of my life. Uh, a lot of amazing athletes. Uh, I had an athletic director, uh, Aubrey Ferris, who was very supportive and knew what it was needed to be successful. And so, uh, first of all, there's, I coached a junior high in Selkirk. There was a step up when I went to the Lord Selkirk High School. When I went to the Lord Selkirk High School, there was a step up to coach at the University of Winnipeg. When I moved from the University of Winnipeg to the national team, it was a big leap up. It wasn't just kind of a couple steps up. It was uh, because you're competing against the best in the world, and we didn't have all the resources, you know, to, to match. You know, I never felt intimidated uh, as a coach. Uh, I tried, for example, for our Canadian women's team to compete against USA and not be not be intimidated or psyched out by them. And our record would show that we did pretty well over the, over the years when we competed against them. But uh, it was just, it was just a big jump from UW to uh, where we had all the training space we wanted. We had the finances, the budget that all other universities had. We had a lot of really committed uh, young student athletes and I'd coached them for longer. So if I've, I've also learned if you coach uh, players for two, three, four years, you don't have to kind of start from zero with culture, kind of what's expected in the gym every day, which was a little bit harder with the national team. But, uh, I mean, the national team was still at the ultimate challenge. You want to know if you can coach volleyball, coach Canada against the world, and see how you do. Well, Mike, I appreciate your time tonight. Congratulations on this honor and uh, continued success in what you do. Okay, thanks very much. Do you know one of the top table tennis umpires calls Winnipeg home? I'm guessing you probably did not. But Dark Makita was chosen last year to be one of just four officials at the International Table Tennis Federation's grand final. Cream of the crop. What was that like? Let's find out from Dark himself. Because he joins us now. How long have you been involved in table tennis? Oh, for majority of my life. As a young kid, I was playing table tennis uh, with my friends. But uh, maybe at that time, we called it ping pong. Right. Now, for those who may not know, is it is ping pong kind of... Uh, do, do people take offense to the term ping pong in the table tennis community? Do they prefer it to be called table tennis? Uh, the difference between ping pong and table tennis is that the table tennis is a ping pong with rules. Okay, good to know. So ta- ping pong, you <laughs> of just course, pick up and of play. Course. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I mean, some people uh, they play ping pong. They they have a rules like a basement rules, you know, home rules or my rules, you know. And table tennis has uh, ITTF rules or uh, table tennis rules that are basically, uh, you know, written by uh, people that understand the table tennis. Because I think most people have probably played ping pong before, but not necessarily with a regimented set of rules. That's right. Okay. So you recently were over at the Grand Finals in China. What was that like? That was probably, you know, I've been to Olympics. I've been to World Championships. But um, never been in the grand finals. Um, so grand finals. If somebody is watching tennis right now, there's Aussie Open. Um, they have a, at the end of the season in London. They have a, a big uh, tournament that is uh, also called 
grand finals of, of all the tournaments. Um, so table tennis has grand finals at the end of the year. All the players who have been playing all year, uh, gathering up points for from each tournament, and the best players are invited. Uh, there's by invitation only. Uh, 16 top players from table tennis community are coming to grand finals. And I was one of four officials uh, selected from around the world. And if you say now with uh, two and two, which is two male and two female, uh, because uh, all sports are now trying to uh, promote equity in sport and and, in officiating, there's two female and two male uh, umpires. I was one of two from around the world uh, selected to participate in phenomenal uh, tournament like grand finals in China. So did you have to put your name in to get chosen or were you, how did that process work? Uh, table tennis, table tennis. Well, um, well, first of all, you have to be in uh, the highest level of officiating, which is uh, called uh, blue batch. Uh, in tennis, there are gold, gold batch umpires that are umpiring the grand slams. Uh, in table tennis, we have a blue batch, which is uh, around 200 umpires around the world um, that are in that level. Three of us are in Winnipeg, and I'm one of them. And uh, so that's your pre-qualifier. The, 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 that's the most important thing. So you wouldn't be even in a pool of being uh, even considered for selection. The, the second thing, the Table Tennis Canada has to put your name in. And thirdly, the ITTF uh, committee has to pick you up. So all countries are submitting their names, and ITTF, the final body, uh, rules committee, basically selects the final four. And I was one of them. So this was definitely uh, probably the biggest achievement in my life. Uh, You know, considering Olympics, that was probably the biggest achievement up to that point. But there's more people selected. Uh, and for this tournament, there was only four uh, officials selected. So I, I felt really honored and rec- recognized for the hard work that I put over the years to uh, to be even considered. And then I and I made it. What is an official's role in a table tennis match? What are your obligations as the players play? Calling lines, kind of like tennis. Uh, well, yes, there is edge ball. Uh, we wouldn't call it, well, in the doubles, there would be a line, which is a service line, which is in the middle of a, of a table. But, uh, but uh, our role is not to interfere with, uh, with the game and not be uh, the, the person of the, of the match. The two players in the single and four players in the doubles, those are the players who are making the game. We're there to make sure that the rules are being followed. Um, so normally there are two umpires assigned to a table, one uh, called uh, umpire, the other called assistant umpire. Uh, the, the umpire sits on a higher chair and, and basically observes the, 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 the match, and, and the assistant umpire sits on a lower chair and usually is responsible uh, for uh, providing the balls uh, to the players. Um, and um, the, the umpire is basically responsible for calling the, the serve and, and the edge bolt on his side. The assistant umpire is call, uh, responsible for calling the, 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 the service and the edge bolt on, the, on his side. So that's kind of uh, 
very short and brief uh, um, requirements for uh, for the officials or the umpires uh, at the table. Um, unlike in other sports, they call them referees. Uh, for us, the supervisor of the competition is, is the referee who is overseeing all the all the tournament. But the officials at the table called umpire. So, what is it about table tennis that drew you to it, and want, and why did you want to be an official? All right. So the, this is this is this is interesting story. Um, I'm originally from Poland. Uh, I was a national swim team. And uh, when I um, couldn't make it to uh, Montreal Olympics uh, as a swimmer, I was beaten by my friend uh, by 1,000 of the second for qualifying to Montreal Olympics. I said, well, you know, one day I will make it. So I came to Canada and not knowing that, uh, that I'm going to be able to, to do that. And uh, I played table tennis uh, back in Poland and back in Germany when I, was, when, when I went to university. And when I came to Winnipeg, the first thing I, I, I did after, you know, finding a job that I would like to continue with my table tennis. So I was playing table tennis and I was playing in a decent level. But, um, you know, I got beaten by a few uh, younger players and uh, just happened that my uh, good friend, Dr. Tchaikovsky, came from India from Commonwealth Games and he says, Derek. I see your frustration when you're getting, you know, beaten by younger players. Uh, would you like to become official? And I said, how do I do that? And he gave me all the uh, information about how to become official. And, um, you know, fast forward, uh, I couldn't go to uh, Montreal Olympics in, in Canada. I went to uh, 2004 Olympics in Greece. I didn't go as a swimmer, but I went as an official. So that's what, you know, uh, perseverance and, and drive is. Uh, you know, you couldn't get through the door. I went through the window, and I uh, was able to achieve what uh, I always dreamt about. That's awesome. Finally, I just want to get perspective from someone who was at this event, the grand finals in China. How big a deal is table tennis in China? Oh, um, I think those guys are dreaming sleeping uh, with rackets, um, you know, um, table tennis rackets, I mean. Um, this is their national uh, glory. Um, you know, the, in the top top 100, uh, there is probably uh, um, 70% of uh, Chinese. Um, it, it's crazy. You know, we were in a gym, and not gym, but in a venue of the size of uh, MTS Center, and uh, it was full every every day. And there was uh, first two days, there was two tables. So you, you can imagine, uh, uh, you know, Jets playing. Uh, there's one table in the middle of, uh, of the uh, ice rink. And, uh, you know, 12 to 16,000 people every day uh, watching table tennis. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, the noise in the, in the hall uh, was like in the beginning of, uh, of, uh, of our first year in the, uh, when Jets started playing uh, back when they came back to, uh, to Winnipeg. Uh, it was very noisy. Um, so big, big deal. Um, national pride. Um, you know, um, out of the 16 players uh, uh, that were invited, um, 10 of them were ch- Chinese. Um, you know, so the the noise out of the fans were coming uh, so loud that it was actually somewhat difficult for us to uh, uh, call the match. 
Well, that's awesome. Uh, listen, I appreciate you coming on the show tonight to exp- talk about your experience and why you do what you do and uh, continued success in what you do. All right. Yeah, just uh, just today I find out I was selected to uh, World Championship in uh, Korea in March. So, um, you know, this is another honors uh, opportunity for me. Uh, you know, uh, not to mention that uh, during the grand finals, uh, the table tennis review was re- introduced, which is, uh, you know, like every other sport right now, they have uh, uh, video reviews. Uh, we never had that in our sport. And first time uh, that I... I went to the grand finals in China. We were using the uh, TTR, which is Table Tennis Review, uh, which is a fantastic addition to uh, the sport that is already so crazy. All right. Well, congratulations on that. And again, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?